He's out with a driver now. Now, I'm not sure this is right. Although, he's had a four and two threes on this hole. He's going to be at least three shots ahead. Welcome to Bros and Birdies, a golf podcast that aims to bring the golf news, chatter and guests from every walk of the golfing world. And we aim to pick the winners of the golf tournaments on the PGA, DP World and Live Tours. On the show this week, we will be looking back at last week's Honda Classic, Indian Open and Live Mayakoba. A big bro will be discussing everything that's gone on in Full Swing Series 1. We'll discuss live contracts, Sergio in immaturity, Mark Steinberg, David Feherty and his comments, and also we'll be previewing this week's tournaments, the Arnold Palmer Invitational up at Bay Hill and the Puerto Rican Open. But to do all that, we've got to get big bro in. So here he is. Welcome to another week, another week of fun. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. I'm sure we will have fun. There's been plenty of fun to be had and to be watched over the weekend. And we're going to get into, as we said at the top of the show, we're going to get into everything that happened last week. And there's lots of other stuff to talk about, including these interesting live contracts. But we're going to get into that um, after we have reviewed last week's tournament. Honda Classic. Not so classic for me. The Indian Open, which let's start with the Indian Open. Obviously, we've got Liv Mayakoba. You've got plenty of numbers to discuss, some money, bits and pieces from Charles Hard. One, Charles Hard, Charles Howe, one, <laughs> Charles two, three. Hard. Charles Hard. It was it was hard to beat him. But anyway, Marcel Marcel Seam last yes. won a DP World Tour event in 2014, but a closing 68 saw him beat German compatriot. Yannick Paul by one shot at the Hero Indian Open. It was great. He, do you know what? He's such a great golfer to watch. Wears his heart on his sleeve. Only qualified for this season um, through the Q School last year. So it's fantastic to see him back on that winner's podium. No, oh, absolutely. And we've seamlessly moved into the Indian Open. Do you oh, like that? It's, yeah, excellent, like it. excellent. Like uh, right, yeah. Eight years since his last win for this 42-year-old mainstay of the uh, DP World Tour. You know, he's been around and and I was actually listening to his interview on the Sky Sports podcast earlier. And, you know, brilliant, down-to-earth, humble guy. Obviously, has had his family issues Um I think, you know, his his wife suffered with cancer or whatever, was having chemotherapy, so touch and go. And, you know, he's got a story and it was fascinating um, and a brilliant win, you know, for someone at the age of 42. And let's just talk about that. If you look at the, the top 10 players at the um, Hero Indian Open last week, and what a course, by the way, absolutely brilliant. And we can Loved talk it. about that. But, um, you know, the age of the top 10, you know, not one player under the age of 25. I mean, that's quite a startling fact for the DP World Tour. And actually, you look at, you know, we've already called out Marcel Seen, 42 years old, Yannick Paul, 28. 
Um, Eust Lauten, 37 years of age. Campillo, 36. You know, we got guys on the, the DP World Tour leaderboards week in, week out that are either outside the top 100, in their mid-30s, pushing their 40s. It's just... It seems that way at the moment. And there's, you know, apart from like the Hoygaard twins and, you know, some other youngsters that are out there, these regular DP World Tour events seem to be hogged by the, you know, the mid 30s plus and stuff. But, and again, world rankings, bro. If you look at Marcel Seen, he's now only, he's still only 256 in mm. the world, an increase of 81 places as a result of that win last week in India. But yeah, uh, you know, a phenomenal performance from the, the German 10 under on the par fives last week was, you know, something that set him aside from the chasers. Let's say Yannick Paul, 13 under Lauten 12 under. And then obviously we go down to Campillo, et cetera, et cetera, eight under, but 10 under on the par fives was quite striking. And that's probably where, you know, he did win the tournament, especially when you look at Yannick Paul only scored five under on the par fives over the course of the, the four rounds. Um, Forstrom, you know, bit further down the leaderboard, eight shots behind seam as the winner only shot eight under on the par fives. An amazing birdie performance, though, from Joost Luton and um, Jorge Campillo with 23 and 21 birdies, respectively. Quite some scoring, really, there. But spare a thought for you and the South African youngster, Jaden Shaper. Um, a quadruple bogey at the 17th, his penultimate hole, cost you a place, which was a bit unfortunate. Yeah, he's, you know, he played well enough and it's great to see him. I think he's such a talented golfer. I said last week that he is, he's coming, he's coming into his own. And obviously there was a lot of highlights on him. Sunshine Tour, he was doing a lot of good stuff. And then everyone's expectations was high as it always is on a young man's shoulders who's really hitting the limelight. You know, he's, he's 466 in the world, but I expect him to rise so quickly. And, you know, you can probably... Obviously, that next week in the Kenyan Open, where he'll perform well again. And you were just talking about you know, saying golfers out there, how great was it to see Juice um, Lighten yeah. back up his performance from the previous week? You know, getting two good performances under his belt. It's fancy consistency again for this talented Dutchman. I love to see it. And now you said spare a thought for Jaden Scaper. <laughs> You've got a spare a thought for a young man who missed a cup. He's 2,927th in the world. He's a 20-year-old amateur, Indian amateur, Sandeep Yadav. Now, he shot 91 in his first round and 84 in his second round. In his second round, right, we can talk about the first round and plenty of bogeys, obviously. He had a nine on the eighth, the par five. But it was his, there was nines, there was eights, but there was an 11, right? And it was in the round two. And he looked like he started to get it to go. Set birdie on seven. He went three, 11, three. Now, what contrasting that just <laughs> that just shows you what golf is all about and how hard golf is. You know, this is great to see those Indian lads out there. There were so many like Honey Basoya. He was one out there. There was Chima, I believe it was. He was the highest. Was he the highest finisher, Chima? No, Al Hawat was the highest um, 
lad. He was 476 in the world for the Indians. Sharma was there, obviously, flying the flag for India. But Angad Chima played very well. 68-71 to start. Sort of fell away a little bit. And Honey Basoya, who had that 66 to start. So great to see the local lads um, putting up that strong effort over in India. And you were talking about that course. I thought... It was a tough course. You had to grind out. And I thought 14 under. When you were looking at the scores throughout, and who was it? Eddie Pepperell said that, you know, this course was designed by Satan. In fact, yeah. it was Gary Player. So I don't know how he felt about that. We talked about that last week. But yeah, a cracking course. And I can't wait to see this on the schedule again next year. It was one of those courses that, you know, on some of the holes, like you say, you just called out, you know, a young lad who shoots, you know, gets a three, then an 11, then a three. It had those holes where you could rack up a very, very big number. And, you know, certainly picturesque. I put up on Twitter a pic- four pictures in particular on a reel and stuff, you know, of some of the brilliant scenery. And, yeah, the holes were tough. But, yeah, that, that Chima lad, he had his nan on his bag, didn't he? Oh, mate, are you doing a joke here? No, Chima Nan. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, God's sake. Anyway, yeah, it, it, it was a brilliant did he, did he have brilliant any? Course. Did he have a drizzle of honey basoa on it as oh, well? I don't so. know, something like that. But, yeah. Good yeah, good numbers. Good numbers, a great tournament. Absolutely loved it. You, you, I mean, you called out Yus Loughton, 37 years old. You know, been around for quite some time. 316th in the world rankings at the moment. So... Still knocking around, still banging in a performance and only two shots behind the German, Victor, who was Marcel seen. So that's yeah, us in Yeah, so India. well done, Marcel. Yeah, back on the winner's um, rostrum. He hasn't got to go to Q school now, so he'd be happy about that. A um, bit of security for himself and his family on tour. Right, um, Honda Classic, beam me up. Because... Honda Classic. Yeah, beam me up. Go on, Captain <laughs> Kirk. <laughs> yeah, Chris Kirk. Do you know what? He started off... Obviously, after the Friday round of 62, you thought, oh, Jesus Christ, he's going to take some take some beating here. But you look down the field. I know it wasn't a classic field. But, you know, you had your likes of Shane Lowry there who finished tied fifth. Didn't really. You sh- Do you know what? Would I be wrong in saying, bro? Would I be wrong in saying that the likes of Shane Lowry would be, be disappointed with a fifth in the Honda Classic at that level, in that field? Surely he should be now marching on, coming towards you know the likes of the players, obviously, next week. And then Masters just round the corner. But I don't know. I just feel he's a bit underwhelming at the moment. Yeah, there is. And there was a story behind Shane Lowry. He nearly pulled out of the, the event just before kickoff. His, his uncle passed away. Um, so, you know, there was obviously you know death in the family and he did consider pulling out. So maybe it was, you know, his mind wasn't totally there. His, he certainly didn't have his, his putting stick with him. You know, his performance on the greens was pretty shocking. Yet he only finished five behind Chris Kirk, who, who won the tournament on 14 under. But, but yeah, you've got, you've got to fit. I mean, I backed Shane Lowry outright um, last week. Thought he was definitely going to be hanging around, you know, Saturday, Sunday. He did, but again, five shots behind and and a pretty unremarkable performance, really, in terms of scoring, you know, three under um, on the par threes, you know, it, a lot better than many of the, the top 10 finishers. Um, so, you know, 
I think the par three performances last week with that tough 15th and 17th was something that was going to set you aside in terms of scoring last week. And maybe that didn't play out in numbers with the exception of one person or call out in a minute. But yeah, I mean, the Honda, right? So here's my problem. I know we obviously we've got the live circuit now and a lot of the top players have broken away. Um, But the Honda in past years has always been a a strong events, you know, with a lot of strong players. And if you look at the leaderboard last week and the names that you're seeing on that leaderboard, that is not, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of good players there. Billy Horschel, Shane Lowry, you know, it's to call out a couple, but Billy Horschel, another player who underperformed. Exactly. Yeah. No, you know, he should, he should have been up there and stuff, but he wasn't. And, And I know he said again, you know, he was suffering coming into the tournament. He'd not been well, so, yeah, you can build up any excuses you want. But that leaderboard was uninspiring, unspectacular for me and not what we would expect from the Honda Classic at PGA National, which is a tough course, a really tough course. But let me just give you a few numbers So, and a couple of interesting facts as well. Now, Sepp Straka won at PGA National last year. Sepp Straka and Chris Kirk shared the same house last year. Um, and then they shared the same house this year. So obviously you had Straka and Kirk went and won. Kirk's got a story, you know, he's kind of now, you know, um, teetotaler, had issues with drink, went into rehab. Uh, again, is another person very much like Marcel Seen, hadn't won for eight years. And actually, it, this is interesting, the numbers in golf, isn't it? They both hadn't won for eight years and it was both their fifth win on the tours respectively. So, um, but yeah, you know, he's come back, he's got himself strong, kind of kicking myself a little bit because Chris Kirk is someone that I think has been knocking on the door. I know obviously he went on and won and it's easy to say that, but let me just give you a couple of numbers. 32nd in the world now, Chris. Yeah. He's jumped 15 places from last Mm. week with the win. So, you know, still obviously high, but you know, he wouldn't be 32nd if you had a lot of the live players there, would he? Um, but regardless, he probably still would be top 60 for sure. But Sepp Straker, like I've just called out, obviously very good friends, shared a house together, etc. He lost that tournament for me this week. He finished five shots behind Kirk, a really good performance, but he was six over on the par three performance. Six over, that's seven shots different to Chris Kirk and only lost by five shots. So you got to feel for him there on the par three performance. Ryan Gerrard. Um, plus three on the par three performance. Now, he is a KFT player um, and as someone, you know, we have good tournaments uh, last week and he's been riding high on the KFT rankings in this early start to this season, but looks like a player that you probably should follow and he may feature in my picks later on. But yeah, just a couple of numbers there, really. Um, 18 birdies for the leaders so, you know, steady, steady performance there and, and not so many bogeys with half a dozen. So, yeah, just a few numbers there, really. The Honda. Yeah, I like um, that Ryan Gerrard. He's only 23 out mm. of the University of North Carolina, born in North Carolina as well. Um, now lives in Jupiter, Florida. He seems like he's got a great game about him. You know, I've, one of these college lads is coming through. He's 302nd in the in the world golf rankings. You know, based on solely on the base on how strong the KFT is and that's fantastic but talking about official world golf rankings is like the Indian Open 
last week is the same strength as the Puerto Rico Open this week. And it's, so it's kind of nice to see that last week was, I know, it's, it's not massive. We're, getting, we're talking about nine or ten points here to yeah. the winner. It's just, and what last week the Honda Classic was 30, I think it was 32 points to the winner. So you think last week wasn't the strongest event and just shows you how poor this Puerto Rico event is this week in terms of strength. And that is, so I did want to ask you a question. The elevated status of events like we're seeing obviously this week in the Arnold Palmer and Players Championship next week and whatever. Do you think it is to the detriment of the PGA Tour or... Can we look at it the other way? And it gives younger lads the chance to get their head up and have a look beyond and look at those elevated status by getting good performances like Ryan Gerard did last week. Yes, uh, to the latter of your two points there. And I think because, you know, there is an incentive for them, obviously. And if they're committed to wanting to play on the PGA Tour, even if it, that's graduating through KFT, you know, coming up through the ranks, then absolutely. There's a few names in the Arnold Palmer lineup this week that normally you would probably see them playing at Puerto Rico. Um, you know, people that have got good form at Puerto Rico, but they've obviously been able to get into this elevated status event. So, yeah, I, I think um, it can only be a good thing for some of these youngsters, for sure. I mean, it's it's a, a field that has got strength in depth as as you would expect it to be all the big boys have to turn out for this it's 20 million dollar purse again third one in quick succession um but yeah i'd love to see some of these good young up and forming up and coming performing golfers doing well and getting something out of these elevated status events well it's well there's three divisions now basically over in the states isn't it it's it's elevated it's pga tour normal events and then it's your kft so three divisions and that's just again highlighting the strength the strength of american golf pga tour golf and just we can come back to this argument between dp world tour and a strategic alliance you know how the hell with this elevated status of events how the hell are we going to see any benefits over in the DP World Tour? To, to that degree, you know, that tour has now gone three divisions and we've still got the DP World Tour. We haven't got an event this week. We had it over in India. It's, we're losing golf courses, great golf courses like Valderrama. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting and we'll still wait for this 2024, as we're being told, and all will become clear i am sure just a little nod on the official world golf rankings this week we're talking about the field ratings and points one uh arnold palmer this week 67 points to the winner puerto rico open just over 10 points to the winner so it's it's a hell of a golf uh, and obviously it's you know we're going to get onto the the api um, a little bit later, but I think that's enough about the classic. Um, one final point, though, bro. Oh, just, right, okay. just as we're talking official world golf rankings, just one final point and stat for people to to be aware of. Marcel Seam last week rose eighty-one places in the world rankings, like I've already said, from three hundred and thirty-seventh to two fifty-six. Eric Cole, who lost in the playoff to Chris Kirk, went from three thirty 
to 179. That was a rise of 151 places for coming second, not winning wow. the event. I mean, that, uh, that's a marked difference. And that's why it's always going to be hard for our lads on our tour to, to get in amongst them, you know, to get up anywhere near that top 50, top 100. It's so difficult for our lads. Um, so we're going to need to see the results of the arbitration case um, go the way of the live players. And then we can get them into DP World Tour events. And yet people can argue that that's at the detriment to other players coming through. But I'm sorry, well, that's going to have to happen because without that happening, then the tour will just fall away and become less and less relevant. So, yes, it will be a bit hard and the Challenge Tour lads might not get much of an opportunity going forward. But to strengthen up European golf, we need those live players in. There you go. He said it. Right, let's move on. Let's move on from Florida. Yes, let's talk about live Mike Ober. Let's go yeah. to Mexico. Charles Howell, not one, not two, but three. Charles Howell the third. Unbelievable. Like you're gonna go into some of the numbers in a in a wee while, but where did that come from? It, where did it come from? I mean, if you look at um, you know, Charles Howell's record at Mayakoba in the past has been, I don't know, not spectacular. It's been steady. Uh, his best finish at Mayakoba, if I look back at over the last seven years' records, was a tied fourth in the 17-18 season, um, you know, a tied seventh in the 16-17 season, and then a mix of other sort of, you know, top 20, 30 finishes. So, again, you know, his best score over four rounds at Mayakoba was back in the 16-17 season when he shot 16 under par. Well, that was his winning score this week, over 54 holes. So a phenomenal performance from Chucky Three Sticks, as they call him. Um, <laughs> part of the, the Crushers team. Yeah, and you know, which is obviously uh, Bryson DeChambeau and, uh, you know, they were the, the victors in the team event as well. But yeah, it was a brilliant performance from Charles Howe. But a tough course, um, Mayakoba, absolutely. And if again, if you look at some bit of the of numbers, wind blowing, bit of wind blowing as the well. The wind was blowing. Hole number twelve was tough. We saw some massive numbers being racked up on that par four. But let me just give you a few numbers in terms of scoring across the fifty-four holes. So, only twenty-two of the forty-eight players finished under par. That is 40, just under 46% of the field. Of the players that finished under par, the combined scoring was 110 under par. Of the players that finished over par, and that again was just a shade under 46%, was plus 138. So 138 over par. It was a tough scoring opportunity last week. And Siwan Kim, again, you know, why Siwan Kim would be on the live roster is beyond me. 23 over par for the 54 holes. That is, in professional golf standards for 54 holes, that is an abomination. I'm sorry. That is absolutely shocking. Laurie Cantor, who was a late-minute stand-in for Martin Keimer, who pulled out through injury. We talked about Laurie Cantor last week, obviously not getting a regular place 
on the live roster. He was a stand-in. Um, and he was eight over par, I think, through the first five holes in round one. He finished 12 over par for the tournament. So a little bit of redemption over the remaining element of the tournament. And again, another one, Chase Kepka. What the hell is he doing there? 15 over for the championship. Well, he's there because of his brother. But again, oh, absolutely. what has he done in the game of golf? Absolutely nothing. And and again, I harp on a little bit about some of the players on the live roster, and maybe it's going to take a couple of years to shake this out. But you can't have that scoring performance, really, especially if, and and it's a big if, if the incentive for a lot of these players is about the team. Yeah, the team. You can't be playing as part of a team shooting 23 over par. You just can't, right? Yeah. So so that was shocking for me. Anyway, listen, back to the golf. It was, it was, you know, a decent enough tournament, a runaway victory for Chucky Three Sticks. Peter Uline, again, you know, I last year I lambasted Uline quite a lot. You know, I didn't think he was that that world-class player that was going to be, you know, he's certainly not been on the PGA Tour, but he's transitioned over to live and it's just lit something up and he's now doing amazing things. He won two and a half million dollars last week, Peter Uline. Obviously, as we know, he's moved to the four aces now, which is DJ's team. Four shots behind Charles Howell as he was, but two and a half million dollars in his pockets again on the live. So he is reaping the rewards of um, the live benefits. But yeah, so, you know, we had Charles Howe, 16 under, Uline, 12 under, Brandon Grace, solid performance from the Stingers at 10 under. And then you had a, a mix of people in single digit numbers under par. So it was a runaway victory for him. And early doors in terms of the money, you know, we're looking, Charles Howe's just pocketed $4.75 million, everyone. <laughs> $4.75 million and, you know, for winning the event and also being part of the winning team. Paul Casey, $1.8 million. I've already called out Uline, $2.5 million. Brandon Grace, one and a half. So in terms of the team events and the early running, you know, we're looking at, you know, the Crushers obviously are way out there with 33% of the pool. They did well last week and they just scooped just under $8.4 million as a team. The four aces bang up there again already with $4.5 million. And the Stingers, again, who were up there early for a large part of the early part of last season, just under $2 million amassed for the Stingers, of which now Burmy, Dean Burmester, is a part of. So Burmy Army! Yeah, and you know he had a, a relatively... Yeah, well, it wasn't strong. It was a one under performance, but a good tied twentieth, and that pocketed him just under one hundred eighty-five thousand um, dollars. Okay, you know, if he was on the PGA Tour, could he have done well at the Honda last week and scooped a lot more? Probably, you know. Then, but it's an early season. Well, event. that's irrelevant, isn't it? He's not it, there. It is. So. Yeah, he's not there. So, listen, it was a good start, but again, some of the numbers last week, you know, they were shocking. I've called out a few already. You know, Bern Wiesberger as part of the cliques, as was Laurie Cantor. They both had shockers. Um, and, you know, and the Rippers didn't do particularly well either with Jed Morgan. You know, he was plus 10 for the, the tournament. So, But it yeah. happens, doesn't it? You know, it, like you said, it is a tough course and it was blowing. And if your game's not on song, then, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what tour you're playing in. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect your game. And we saw that in abundance at Mayakoba. But... 
do you know what I wanted to say? I just wanted building up to the Masters, right? And this is what it's all about. We can't wait to see all these guys together at the Masters. But Cam Smith, you sort of, I, I saw glimpses of brilliance in that last round. It's four under, it's final round, finishing six, uh, six under. Now, I saw enough. I saw enough. And all the blasting that Perez was getting, he had a great final round. There's something about this man. I, He's Marmite. I get it. And I'm not his biggest fan in the world. Um, and when he turned around, I said, oh, what's the greatest um, greatest thing about Maya Coba this week? He goes, the tour isn't here. The PGA tour isn't here. And he can quote me on, you know, end quote or whatever he said. But I loved the way that Cam Smith finished um, the three rounds. I thought he was showing some lovely touches. It's going to take a while. He hasn't played a lot of golf. Obviously, he was down in Australia for a while, playing a couple of tournaments there. But yeah, I saw enough to get me excited for Augusta already. Yeah, absolutely. And I had um, Perez last week each way at 125 to 1 without Cam Smith and DJ. So yeah, he finished strongly on five under for the tournament, but uh, not enough, not enough to get us back. But yeah, first event of the new season. And obviously, they move on to Tucson next. Tucson, love it. The Gallery Golf Club, March 17th to the March the 20th. Right, let's move on to the Full Swing Series. Now, yeah. you wanted to run through. I've only seen one episode and I didn't mind it. I've just been so busy. I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch any more of it. But for those out there that just want a little summary, Big Bro has been watching it all. And here are his thoughts. Okay, well, you know, I, I feel... I feel a little bit guilty here because you haven't watched it all, so I don't really want to spoil it too much. But just oh, a, a great, it's not things. Titanic, mate. No, no exactly. <laughs> Jack, Jack. Anyway, listen, the, episode one, right? I'm not going to talk about episode one because I was absolutely bored by episode one. It was all about the the friendship between Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, um, you know, and it just Jordan Spieth and Jordan Spieth as well. Yeah, forgot to mention him, but you know. At, that's why I didn't make any notes. It was just, yeah, it was boring. And I thought, yeah, am I going to watch the rest? Of it? Okay, yeah, I'll carry on watching it. Anyway, every episode had a name of the episode. So episode two was Win or Go Home. And it was pretty much about Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler, in all honesty, right? So Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler, as far as I'm concerned, are night and day, totally two different personalities. Scotty Scheffler seems like a decent, upstanding human being, you know, family man, obviously with his wife, Meredith and stuff. And I'm not saying Brooks Kepka isn't, but he, he just comes across as, as a petulant little child. And I know there was a lot going on with obviously the lead up to live and they probably knew a lot more and they couldn't say anything. But yeah, for me, you know, I mean, there was great Augusta content in episode two, win or go home, but the, Brooks Kepka was, I just felt he had this negative mindset. Mate, and Brooks Kepka, sorry to interrupt, but Brooks Kepka is, is an analogy. It's a really bad analogy, and I'm famous for bad analogies. But Brooks Kepka, Scott Scheffler, go to a club. Brooks Kepka shits on the dance floor. Scott Scheffler's the one picking it up. They're, they're the sort of people. They're the sort of people. They are. You said chalk and cheese. They are completely different. And I'll have a pint with Scott Scheffler any day. Um, and I'd probably have a pint with Brooks Kepka's missus, but not him. 
<laughs> Interesting. But anyway, listen, that's a good analogy. You always come up with some good ones every now and again. But let's get back to the content. So when I said Brooks Kepka, I, I just felt he had a negative mindset. And it was all based around his Augusta performance round one. You know, when he came off the green and he's like, I can't compete with these guys. Now, this is a multi-major winner. You know, and obviously his head wasn't in the right place. Yes, was everything going on with Live beyond the background that we didn't know about? Yes, probably. And and did that contribute to a negative mindset? But it was just, everything was just so petulant and throwing his toys out the pram. And, you know, Kepka, even when he was being interviewed, he said he didn't even watch the final master, the final round at the Masters. He couldn't even remember who won it until he was actually prompted and he went, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, so, and I, I thought that was pretty bad. You know, it's like when you're competing with your peers and, you know, you should really be keeping an eye on what's going on in the world of golf. And he just seemed so distant. Whereas you compare with Scheffler and, you know, he just seems so down to earth. And there was a great piece in episode two, whereas Caddy just seems to be, his voice of reason, Scotty Scheffler's caddy. And, you know, there was, there was a part in Augusta, obviously Scheffler won at Augusta last year, but before he went out to the final round, he, he said two things, two things to him. He said, this is what you do. And I've always done. It's just another day of golf. And the other thing he said to him is, um, is that God is in control of everything. So it was that calming influence and, and that's what you need as well. But it was just, it was night and day for me. So that's a little bit about episode two. Let's move on. Episode three was called Money or Legacy. And it was based around the Players' Championship at Sawgrass. <laughs> what interesting thing, there was a quote on Ian Poulter and his dress sense. And the quote was, he looks like a walking gender reveal. I just, I, I was just absolutely in stitches at that. It was, um, it was so funny. <laughs> but yeah, this is the, the episode where um, he also threw his toys out the pram and threw all his clubs um, and it was, I don't know if you've seen the clip of it, but he threw his I clubs. Have, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was actually at Austin Country Club in the, the WGC match play um, after losing to Matt Fitzpatrick. And and that was also funny because, you know, they had some footage on Fitzpatrick and when Fitzpatrick beat him and they shook hands together, Fitzy walked off the green and he, and he went, he nearly broke my hand. I mean, like, Poulter was so angry. It was just... That's yeah. the firing. That's the competitor in mean, isn't he? You know, match play. That's what Poulter lives for. So I don't mind him being angry like that. We've all we've all got absolutely pissed off at getting beat by someone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting because Poulter was talking in this episode about the Ryder Cup and his passion for the Ryder Cup and about you know potentially being a future captain as well. And didn't know at the time what the implications would have been of joining Liv. Um, but, you know, he said the fact of guaranteed money is attractive. Now, again, whilst all of this is being filmed, they must know that they were going to sign for live. And obviously there's things that they can't say, um, you know, it's kind of. And, and Poulter made a quote in this episode. He's not working for free does not float my boat. Um, you know, he's made thirty three million dollars over a 20 year career across the PJ Tour and the DP World Tour. But 
he obviously felt that he probably couldn't mix it anymore with this young talent. And, and that was part of his rationale behind Liv is, you know, go and play golf and get paid for, for doing something I love and paid hands handsomely. So, um, you know, it, that was an interesting episode. Anyway, episode four, moving on, don't want to take up too much time, but this one was called Imposter Syndrome. And it was all based around Joel Damon, you know, a journeyman in the game, uh, you know, and, and a down to earth, humble guy. You know, someone, you know, who really primed himself on on saying, you know, I, I just want to be the 70th best player in the world. You know, it's kind of... Um, Has he got was, a lisp? A lisp, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stop it, stop it. Anyway, it's um, it was based around Joel Damon and an interesting character in Gino Benelli. I think you talked about on one of the podcasts last year. Is this the guy that actually... I think it might have been at the Genesis or something where he was caddying and he actually got on a bike and took the bike to the course because the traffic was so bad. Anyway, he's got an absolute brilliant relationship, him and his caddy. So that episode was about Joel Damon. And all I can say is, you know, what a guy. He, he just came down, you know, really down to earth, had cancer troubles earlier on in his life and has had family problems with losses etc episode five was called american dreams really focusing on more on i've been to that club (laughs) yeah yeah well i bet your dj was there wasn't he Uh, (laughs) oh yeah yeah. well well this episode was focusing on dj and matt fitzpatrick and you know basically the the theme of it was you know no one works harder than matt fitzpatrick in the game um you know kind of sheffield steel mate yeah, exactly. Steel. I didn't realise him and that Dan Rappaport were really, really good friends. I think they went to college together. Um, you know, I mean, I, I won't feel ashamed of saying, you know, I actually shed a tear when Fitzy won at the US Open because I, I think it was, you know, it was emotional and, you know, there was a story and he just seems like a down-to-earth, honest guy. So, yeah, that was well, a Dan, little bit... Dan Rappaport will be friends with anyone who will listen to him. So yeah, it's reckon? all right. Yeah, yeah. Is he your friend? You're not going to listen no. to him, are you? No, exactly. No. So that was American Dreams. Episode six, it was Don't Get Bitter, Get Better. And it was about Tony Finau. Um, again, what a guy. It's, you know, t- he's got tons of kids, got an army of kids. Um, you know, Samoan background is Tony. But, you know, this this episode really takes you on, you know, a lot to do with his family sort of adventure and stuff. And now he takes his family everywhere with him. Um, since the loss of his father-in-law, which hit his wife pretty hard. But, um, yeah, just a, a brilliant episode based around, again, another good guy in the I game. I like Tony. I yeah. like Tony a lot. Yeah. He's He just seems like, yeah, loves his, you know, like a sound, this sounds stupid. You know, everyone loves their kids, um, I guess. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, on, was it Saturday night, when my son's 18th birthday came in um, sick all over him. <laughs> um, he'd been out night clubbing and stuff like that, but yeah, generally he just seems like a proper family guy. Loves playing golf, has that drive to win, but he's super cool. Yeah, absolutely. And this episode focused on his back-to-back wins at the 3M and the Rocket Mortgage. So episode six was about Tony Finau. Episode seven was called Golf is Hard. Now, this was a funny episode because this was based around Mito Pereira, Joaquin Neiman, Carlos Ortiz, you know, the South American grouping. Um, Obviously, that are now um, all on live. But it was interesting, and, and there was a piece on there as well about the the Sahith Thigala breakdown at the Waste Management's. You know, last year when he hit the ball in the water at seventeen, seemingly had the the tournament in his hands. But 
yeah, it was it was a lot about the South um, American grouping and also charted behind the scenes uh, look at Pereira's collapse at Southern Hills in the PGA. Mm. Uh, but it was interesting. But there was one funny part in this episode, which th- there was a group. I can't remember whose house they were. I think it might have been uh, Wacken Neiman's house. But they're all there with their friends, and there's some kids going around, and they're in this centerpiece in this kitchen, and you've got these kids turning around, and and they're saying to Mito Pereira. Um, one of the kids turned around and said, "Oh, can you um, can you say this after me?" And and he said, "Well, what is it?" And they said, "Say Mike Oxlong really quickly, right?" And he went, "What?" And they said, "Just say Mike Oxlong quickly and everything." So he said it, and it didn't sound right. And then he said it quicker. And of course, when you say it, it says Mike Cox. My cock's long. So it's like, anyway, these kids were absolute in stitches at this and everything. I'm thinking, like, these young kids teaching these adults things. What are they learning at school? Anyway, that was episode seven. It was called <laughs> Golf is Mate, Hard. Quite if, if anyone's listening to this, you haven't just tuned into a, an Alan Partridge parody. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, what are these kids learning? Oh, no. My cock's long. Oh. Exactly. No, it's not. It's anyway, actually big, bro. That was episode seven. Final episode, episode eight, is everything has led to this. And it was pretty much a sick love story. It was a Rory loving, basically. Uh, Talked about the players only meeting at Wilmington, Delaware. Uh, Talked about Rory making a statement about confusion and being blindsided by Monaghan over this mandatory requirement to play all of these elevated events. Um and then there was a bit in it as well around. So I don't know if you've seen a trailer, but, you know, there was a piece that, where it said Rory had pretty much said, fuck you, Phil, kind of thing. And and it was in a treatment room and they were all just like laughing and joking. And someone had made a comment about credibility. So somebody said about Rory being a Josh Allen fan and losing credibility like Mickelson. And then Rory shouted out what, he, what I just said. And kind of that was really where the comment was. I don't think there was any true animosity in it it was tongue-in-cheek and stuff but yeah episode eight kind of closed out series one a full swing with a rory mcelroy loving and that was it in summary oh fantastic uh, well do you know what you, you've done well to watch all them mate is me thinking you're busy in fact uh, night time you do night bugger time, uh, really. <laughs> oh lovely you tracy your wife's very happy um yes. right let's get on to live contracts because that has been um highlighted recently by um nucci you can find him at at j nucci n-u-c-c-i 23 you can see the whole thread about um all these contracts on twitter so go ahead and do that but i know you wanted to highlight a few of the points in the contract thread yeah it was an interesting article this guy is a chief golf law correspondent um at con detrimental and he wrote this thread on you know aspects of live contracts and and you know there is a piece you can go and read it go and find it if you're that way inclined but i just wanted to call out some of the aspects on it and i'll call out a few so number one the players within the contracts and and i think there's you know, some of the players have got maybe slightly different contracts to others, more of the long-term multi-year, multi-million pound contracts, but they must play in every live event. Now, that's an interesting one. What about injury? So I guess there must be a clause in there. If you're injured, then obviously that doesn't count. Um, or is there penalties of being injured? I, I just don't know. No, but kind of interesting. Re- 
Well, no, I, I no you're reading so. too, but it's no, there can't be, there won't be anything like that. That's just see, that's why they've got replacements. No, exactly. Anyway, number two was um, players grant exclusive license to use players' identification on all things like promotions, apparel, etc., etc. Now, I guess you know, is that very similar to player contracts on the PGA Tour, or is it slightly more restrictive? Um, I, I think you know there was a there was a quote by an American judge back in August last year that actually, in summary, said that these contracts are so restrictive she'd never seen anything like it before. So that that was a bit about licensing um, and exclusivity. There's another one. Um, players must not enter into any conflicting contract. So that's an interesting one because that's actually, um, as part of the PGA Tour's competing event policy, is actually one of the foundation foundations of lives antitrust claims so you know interesting one there in terms of you know if they looked at these other contracts and tried to get them back to back i don't know but there's there's just a few things in there that stand out and the last one from me and i don't know if you've got anything to lay over the top of it is that these players are prohibited um, from providing media interviews without express live operator approvals so that's an interesting one because you know you reach out and you try and make contact and you kind of get flatlined and i can't talk at the moment because that's probably a reason why so anyway yeah there were just a few points to call out with without going into too much detail did you have anything else no it's an interesting one with the the media obviously we have reached out to a few of them um and it's come back with that um, hopefully that will change. You now we're, we're contacting Liv and we're trying to get sort of accreditation to try and get it in, in touch with these guys and have a chat about it because we're generally curious about what's going on and how they're finding it. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. There were, you know, there were another – one of them interested me. It was um, players are required to participate in and assist Liv with meetings, negotiations and other activities with corporate sponsors including team promotional activities and league activities. Now, that's obviously you want the, you want the players there in front of the sponsors and they're struggling to get sponsors. Um, we, we've had a few come out and I'm sure more sponsors are coming into it. We've, we've heard about more club manufacturers being um, visible and having a position at these live events. So I reckon over time, that will change and we'll see a lot more um, sponsors. There was players must not make statements or commit acts in public forums that are false, defamatory, slanderous, or that may adversely affect the reputation or public image of any relevant person. Now, obviously, you know, people have talked about sports washing and what they're doing, Saudi, whether they're investing it into big companies such as Boeing, Uber, etc. Um, got these things with FedEx. And then obviously football or soccer, as Americans call it, with Newcastle United. Um, yeah, they just don't want anything bad coming out there. So they'll have to watch their tongues, especially when you play like Pat Perez, who shoots from the hip. Um, he's going to have to be careful. So, and these relevant person, which is in, you know, exclamation marks, um, Sorry, inverted commas, not exclamation. I've never had a very good at English. Um, it says relevant persons are those includes live shareholders like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, <laughs> let's not piss off the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, please. But, yeah, interesting. Go and find him, John Nucci, um, at 
J Nucci N U C C I twenty three. He's on Twitter. The thread is there for you to see. Have a look. Some interesting comments. Right, talking of interesting comments. Um, Sergio claims of immaturity. Baldo getting involved. Interesting. It's yeah, it's just one of those spats that continues to rumble, rumble on. You know, obviously, you know whether Sergio and Rory McIlroy were really, really good friends and close over the years. Obviously, you know, being part of the Ryder Cup and stuff, it remains to be seen. And and maybe there's been a little, you know, a few things going on over the years. But he's just come out and you know made some statements around sort of maturity, and they've been kind of you know rebuttals from, as you say, like. Sir Nick Faldo, who's actually turned it back on Sergio and said he's the most immature person he's ever come across in the game. And I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about it. And obviously it's creating a storyline, but I don't think it's the stuff that you really want to be seeing all of the time. You know, it's like, come on, guys, you're grown up men. It's like you play golf, you earn a lot of money, get on and just deal with it. But it just seems to keep everything ticking over, doesn't it? Well, it's just, it's a game. It's playground. It's it's just, and I don't know why Nick Faldo's getting involved. You know what I mean? He's, 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 he's had a lot to say about most subjects in the world of golf, right? I know he's been there and he's done that. He's been around the block and he deserves well, why should to. should he not? He's a big name no, in the game. No, he deserves to have an opinion, but I don't think he needs to get involved with this. I, I think both Sergio and Rory are have shown immense immaturity. Um, or frustration or whatever more on the Sergio side you know there's been a lot more examples of that but you look at Rory ripping shirts bashing the the bunker with his club like Sergio has been um, videoed and the clips have been out on social media lately chucking clubs away banging the floor of the tee box and stuff these players get frustrated and that shows passion that's passion um, yeah yeah I agree there's, you know there's it's a Spanish uh Famous for their passion. Look at John Rahm. He's been showing it in the past. Seve used to get a bit angry. You know, he never got, he wasn't immature like Sergio or Rory. But these players have passion. Jimenez, oh, what a passionate man that is. Jesus Christ. It, you know, come on. These players are athletes and they get frustrated and they get annoyed and the cameras are on them. And, and it is what it is. Yes, it might not be great, great viewing to see these players have a tantrum. But come on, it's it's going to happen again. It will happen again, and we just need to move on. Talking of immaturity, I, I'll still never forgive you for nicking that black ball off the snooker table when I was about to make that one four seven last year. That was just immature. <laughs> that was, uh, and then you woke up one four seven. You didn't even make a fourteen, did you? <laughs> hey, highest break in a league match snooker for me fifty four. I've had two of them actually. In oh, is that snooker? In- yeah. Oh, in that blind league snooker. Oh, that's well, yeah, okay. Stevie Go Wonder on. came second, didn't he? Yeah. Anyway, crack on Tiger Woods right. agent, Mark Steenberg. Steenberg, indeed. So he's Steenberg has been a sports agent working in the industry since what early nineties. He's one of Tiger Woods' best friends, and he sits on the board of governors of the Tiger Woods Foundation. He's a partner at Excel Sports Management, which Forbes ranks as the third most valuable agency. Now of course, he's going to distance himself and he's pulled out of his working relationship with Thomas Peters, who's just joined Liv. It seems straightforward to me. 
Yeah, it is straight straightforward, but I guess there's a way that you go about business and obviously we weren't there, but if if you read the reports and the reports are accurate, you know, kind of severed that relationship via another, you know, a third party, not directly. Um, whether that was either by text from someone else or whatever, reportedly, allegedly, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I suppose you're right. Inevitable in the fact that, you know, he's gone to live and um, Steinberg, Steinberg, whatever his name is, is, you know, he has no live players on his client books. So well, there's no there's no way that he can have a live player on his books and sit on the board of governors of the Tiger Woods Foundation after Tiger Woods has, you know, publicly come out and, I've gone down the route of the TGL and, and what have you and been totally anti-live. So, yeah, it's happened. It's unfortunate, like you said, third party um, has told Thomas Peters. And Thomas Peters was quoted as saying, he's just disappeared. <laughs> so, But there'll be plenty of agents out there that will clamour to get Thomas Peters. You know, he's a top 50 um, golfer in the world. He's, he's going to make a lot of money at live without a shadow of a doubt. And why wouldn't we want to be part of that? At the end of the day, you're in it for for money, in it for the business. Being Talking an agent, Thomas Peters. I'm not sure about those long socks he was wearing at Mayakoba last week with shorts. Uh, oh, oh, he looked God. like he looked like he looked like you on holiday in Mallorca. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you used to out clubbing like that as well. You oh, terrible dresser. Oh, it was different in the nineties, mate. Come on. Yeah, you always get dressed in the dark, did you? Right. <laughs> Let's say um, talking about comments and and people that really don't give a damn. Um, David Faherty has um <laughs> has been coming out with some great stuff over the years and some random stuff, and we'll get into that. But he had an interesting comment, didn't he? He did. He was sucking up to Greg Norman during his commentary at Live Mayakoba and, and made the statement that Greg Norman was the most recognisable athlete in the 1980s, 1990s. I mean, seriously. No, he wasn't. He wasn't the oh, most recognisable yeah. athlete at all, well, was he? So Pele, Maradona, um, Jordan, not Jordan, the, the supermodel, um, Mike Tyson, Wayne Gretzky, Ronaldo, Agassi, Magic Johnson, Lendl, Carl to Lewis, name a few. Navratilova. I, mean, I don't, I don't think what so. What prompts him to make a statement like that? But yeah, I'm sure he's come up with some stuff over the years, hasn't he? Oh, mate, uh, let me run through a few, right? Oh, you've got quotes some, have you? Over right, the years. Okay. I have, actually. I've been looking into it, and I thought it's funny. All right, here's one. He came up, he goes, the world's number one tennis player spends 90% of his time winning, while the world's number one golfer spends 90% of his time losing. Golfers are great losers. I think that's quite a sensible one. Other non-sensible ones was, I was swinging like a toilet door on a prawn trawler. Then he came up with one, he goes, I lost 150 pounds, if you include my wife. Um, And what did he say about Nick Faldo? He said, that's the trouble with Nick. The only time he opens his mouth is to change his feet, um, or to change feet. And then the last one I wanted to come out is, it's an interesting one, this, but this is what he goes into. I know he's had issues with drink and stuff like that, but he might have been on the drink when he said this. But win, and you are the superior being in all the universe. Lose, and may the fleas of a million rodents infect your every <laughs> orifice. So, yeah, there's David Fairty, anyone. So I wouldn't take too much notice of him saying he's the most recognisable um, golfer in the 80s regarding Greg Norman, but you never know. 
Well, I I did reach out to Mr. Faherty's agent this week to see if we could get him on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and he goes, "I'm too busy swinging like a toilet door on a prawn trawler." Exactly, so that was that was it. That was the response. Uh, right, bro. I think that we need to get into this week's tournaments. Oh yeah, we've got um, tournaments to cover, haven't we? We've oh. got tournaments, and we've got a great tournament. Yeah, and Bay Hill. Um, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Let's head straight there for that. Get a preview of it. What can you tell us about Bay Hill? Arnold Palmer's home, Bay Hill, Orlando, Florida, past 72, just a shade under 7,500 yards. This is a tough course without shadow of doubt. As already discussed, it is another elevated event on the PGA Tour roster for 2023 with $20 million at stake for the field. So what have we got here at Bay Hill? Well, we know it's tough. And when the wind blows, as I suspect we are going to have a bit of wind this week, looking at the forecast, it's going to be tough. Let me just give you a couple of numbers before I walk into some of the other aspects of this course. But if you look at last year, uh, where Scotty Scheffler won on a winning score of five under, only 20% of the field were sub 70 that obviously finished um 124 players in the field 25 of them finished sub 70 59 finished over par that's how tough last year was and actually in terms of toughness that compares to the 2020 playing of this event where we were looking at similar numbers where Tyrrell Hatton won on four under where only 18 of 124 finishers finished under par. That's 14.5% of those players and 51% finished over par. So if we've got wind this week, we are hopefully, I guess, going to see a tough scoring event and a lot of attrition out there battling the elements. But in terms of Bay Hill, as I say, we've got uh, 7,500 yards, lots of water, uh, around about nine holes. It's a heavily bunkered course here at Bay Hill. I think there's something like 80, 84 bunkers from count looking at through some of the holes. It's definitely a shot shapers course. There are many dog legs at Bay Hill. And I certainly think it hits the slightly longer hitter. Um, and to cap this off, the greens, the greens are large, but they're also very, very quick. But it is a course that can get heavily exposed to the winds. And we know we've got winds this week. So from a stat angle, just before you go into any points that you want to overlay on that, I'm certainly looking at par three performance um, this week in terms of you know what's happened in the season and also looking at uh, the last few events at Bay Hill. Uh, GIR scrambling and driving accuracy are what I've looked at to help shape my picks this week. Anything from you, bro? Yeah. Um, can Scheffler repeat the feat of Matt Every, Tiger or Lauren Roberts and go back to back at this amazing golf course? Yeah, Like you said, back for the second elevated event on schedule. Um, slightly different to Puerto Rico. There are not an abundance of birdies out there. Frustration can play a part which surprises me as Tyrrell as one here. Uh, late starters on Thursday, you mentioned the wind. Late starters on Thursday may have the better of the Friday weather as it is going to blow. We're looking at constants of around about 20 to 25 miles per hour with, gusting, with gusts over 30. And actually, yeah, all four days we'll have breeze. So this could be a war of attrition. You did mention it. And form could be chucked out the window. I'm looking for scrappers and that's what I'm going for. 
Excellent. Excellent. Right. Well, let's get into our picks then. How many have you got? I've got five this week. Right. I've only got three. God, you oh. are desperate to try and get back into a bit of form, aren't well, you? You're going. <laughs> listen, bro. I'd, you know, just before we do go into our picks, and, um, you know, we've asked for some feedback on sort of what we do, and some, we've had some really good, honest feedback this week. And one of those elements is like, give us a little bit more visibility around your picks and so. And I just, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but the first two seasons that we played, you know, we were up on our point scoring. We had a good start to 2023. But the last few weeks have been a bit hard to swallow, let's just say. And we are currently, in 2023 season, we're currently 125 points down. Now, we have selected 129 golfers. We've had four wins and we've had six places. So we've still had some success, but we are nevertheless, we are down. So, yes, I'm desperate and I'm looking for a winner. And I'm not necessarily going massive prices, but I do think I could have the winner this week. So let's go for it. Right. First okay. Pick. First pick for me. I'm going to go first. Lucas Herbert played well here last year with the Tide 7. When he won his only PGA event, the Bermuda, it was blowing that week, as it will be this week. He's a top 50 player, and I'm not sure he gets the credit for some great golf. Hasn't played much this year, but did play very well in the Dubai Desert Classic. He had been rumoured, there were a few rumours around there saying he was going to join the Rippers and that could still be on the cards going forward for Lips. But perhaps he needs a few more decent performances before a more attractive offer comes his way. Lucas Herbert, scrapper in the wind, 125 to 1 in the market without Rahm, Rory and Scotty Scheffler. He's 80, 45 points lost. I don't know, I'll probably take the 80. Yeah, no, it's a decent price. Uh, finished tied seventh last year uh, at Tough Bay Hill with a finishing round of 68 and only lost by three shots. So he obviously likes the course. Um, hasn't done a lot this year, really, has he, Lucas Herbert? But he's shown sort of splatterings of form. So, yeah, who knows? Big price. Big price, that, bro. Okay, nice one to open. My first one is an obvious pick. This week, um, I was looking at the top of the market and thinking, you know what, what can I do here? I'm going to play Rory McIlroy. Uh, he has got a very good record here. He won in 2018. After 2018, he's had three top 10 finishes in the seasons 2019 to 21 and also had a tied 13th last year. But he's nine to one. And yeah, OK, safe play, top of the market. But I think Rory will be wanting to make a point this week. And he's my first play. 9-1 to Rory McIlroy. Okay, pretty, um, yeah. You can't argue with that, can you? You know, one of the best, what, was he number two in the world? Um, right. A player we have seen a lot on the DP World Tour is South African Thriston Lawrence. Well documented, he, documented he plays well in the breeze. He's South African and he has all those links style shots. And when you talk about grinding, a tied sixth at Valderrama, Valderrama highlights that point, right? He makes his debut on the PGA Tour and he's 450 to one in the market without, without Rory, Rahm and Scotty Scheffler. But if you want to go brave, he's a 750 to one in the outright market. There you, you crazy go. horse. Absolutely hey, just you know, crazy. you mentioned Rory just a minute ago. A weird stat that I had in the back of my head for Rory is that he's finished the last three Arnold Palmer invitational tournaments with round four scores of 76. Last three tournaments, 
final score, final round has been 76, 76, 76. Yeah, it's not anyway. a good omen, is it? Anyway, I'm not picking him. You are. So carry on. <laughs> second pick. Excellent. Right. My second pick this week is an Englishman. And it's the angry man Englishman. It's previous winner here in 2020. It's Tyrrell Hatton. And I think he is a very decent prize for someone who has won here and got an impeccable record, let's say. He tied second last year to Scotty Scheffler. He won in 2020, and in 21, he was tied 21st. He had a tied six at the Phoenix a few weeks ago. So tells me that he is actually playing some really good golf early on in the season. And I've seen a bit more out of him. You know, if he can keep it under check in terms of his emotions, 35 to 1. Tyrrell Hatton for a previous winner or 28 to 1 without Rory and Rahm. So Tyrrell Hatton, I think we'll have a good week. He loves this place. Yeah, I've gone with you. Same. He's my third and final pick. Tyrrell yeah, Hatton. Right, okay. You know, like you said, he's done it here. He's won. He's finished second. I feel he's playing a lot better of late. Like you've said, I feel he's in form and he's 25th in the world for God's sake. You know, he's easily a top 10 player at the top of his game. And there's no reason why he can't get involved. And like you said, he likes it around here. And when we've seen him play in the Dunhill links and the wind's been blowing, he's got the shots. And I think if he'll control his temper, I think he could get it done. And yet 28 to 1 in the market without is, uh, I think, a very good price. Yeah, final pick. Decent play. Right, Okay. My third pick is another Englishman. Uh, Previous... um... US Open winner last year, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick goes without saying. He's 30 to 1 in the outright market, 22 to 1 without Rahman Rory. Again, has got a very good record here. In the last four years, he has had four top tens. And if we've got tough conditions this week, and we know when he gets his put in stick hot, he can be bang up there on that leaderboard. So I think Till Hatton and Matt Fitzpatrick this week should have very good weeks. Again, can play in the wind, decent prices. So he's my third. My fourth play is an American who was performing really well recently, went very close at the Genesis uh, where he had a fifth position. He's had a tied sixth in 2019, a tied fifth in 2020 here, and was also tied fourth earlier on this season at Pebble Beach. So he's playing some good golf, and it's Keith Mitchell. 50 to 1 outright, 35 to 1 without R&R. And my final play is a Canadian. I like this Canadian. I'm not sure what's been going on early part of season, whether he's had injuries or what, but he does have a decent record here. He's third in 21, tied 11th last year, and it's Corey Connors, and he's 66 to 1 outright or 55 to 1 without R&R, and they are my five plays this week. Yeah, Corey Connors, he's just drifted off a bit, hasn't he? You know, the, the form that he had a couple of years ago, so it'd be interesting to see if he can get it back. Yeah, it's it's a decent price, and I think they're all valid, valid picks. You're We're definitely both... looking for players that have got form here at Bay Hill, haven't you? Definitely. And, you know, if you can match that together with players that have played and shown a liking for tough conditions, windy conditions, and I think we've got a bit of that this week. So, obviously, yeah, your I... price is a little bit bigger than mine. Um, a little bit. Thriston Lawrence, Jesus Christ. What do you know? First, uh, first you've got, a, you've got to play the without 450. I mean, don't, don't. Don't be going greedy. No, I won't. But I, I can't remember last time we had wins like this at Bay Hill. So it'd be interesting to see how these guys... Um, Could be carnage. Right. Talking of um, carnage, 
I don't think there'll be much carnage. There'll be plenty of birdies, though. But we're going to head over to the other event on the PGA Tour, the less elevated event, the Puerto Rico Open. Uh, it's um, Grand Riviera. Is that right? No, Grand Reserve Country Club. I'm not Club, sure isn't it's it? got, even got any elevation. It's quite flat, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. There's quite a few mountains. You're a funny lad. Right. <laughs> should we get into it? What can you tell us about the course? Okay. So we are at the Grand Reserve Country Club, Rio Grande, Puerto Rico, a past 72, just a shade over 7,500 yards long. It's uh, an ocean track, a flat track, a resort track. Uh, we have large Paz Palom greens, but they're going to be slow greens, as you would naturally expect with Paz Palom. The wind generally here is the main defence of this course. Whilst there's a few lakes beside many of the holes and there's you know, there's quite a bit of bunker in, I think 60 plus bunkers. Um, it is probably going to be the wind that's going to be the main defence of this flattish track. And yeah, interesting. I've looked at a bit of previous form here, obviously at Puerto Rico. Mixed together with some current season form as well, and that's helped shape my four picks this week. No, I love it. Yeah, I, I quite like this place, and it's into birdie fest. It will, like you said, it needs protecting um, by the winds, and I'm not sure. Looking at the weather forecast, they're going to get a great deal, so it's going to be up there for the taking. Um, I've got three picks again for this one. Reason why I've got three picks in both tournaments and not got a bit l- larger with the because um, you can't count. Is because I'm going to go nice and heavy with some of the units um, because I think I've got some good guys to go into battle with. So we'll um, we'll have a look. Let, let's go. Let you go first. Age before beauty. Okay, right. My first play this week is a guy that I I thought had a really good week at the Honda last week. He was a Monday qualifier to get into the Honda last week, and he had a fourth place finish. It's he's currently 22nd on the KFT rankings and it's Ryan Gerrard, uh, 28 to one shortish price, but he seems to be doing good things on the KFT and last week's performance. There was a lot to like, so I think he can take that into this week as long as it hasn't taken too much out of him with being a Monday qualifier and everything that would have had to have gone with that and getting into it and everything with a fourth place, you know, kind of media follow ups, etc. Yeah, 28 to 1. Ryan Gerard, a young up-and-coming name. I wondered why, I, when you were talking about him at the top of the show, uh, when we were looking back at last week, I wonder why you mentioned him. I thought he might just possibly be one of your picks this week, yeah. and he is. Right, um, Green's in regulation here. Um, it's last the last three years, you've been between 63 and 68 sense of the greens found and so that's what i'm looking at some players that are featuring on that that sort of part of the list on the stat angles on the pga tour site and i'm going to go over the first one i like him he played absolutely too bad to be true last week let's put a line through that and hope the pga national was just not up his street it's eric van royen uh 68 of the greens found this season thus far the players, Heritage, the Amex, great performances. You know, the Harbour Town is known as a place where you have to keep the ball in play and give yourself chances. The Amex is a place where birdies come thick and fast. He was 23 under then, and he'll need similar here. He also won the Barracuda, the Stableford competition. You need to make birdies for points. 25 to 1 shows his fancy to give it a go here in this field. I think he's value at 25 to 1. First pick. 
Okay, excellent. Another South African. Loves his South Africans, does our bro. Right, okay, my second pick is a guy that has... Again, I've shaped this on the basis of his form here at the Grand Reserve Country Club, and it's Bryce Garnett. He had a tied fifth 2021 and a tied seventh 2022. The field is nowhere near as strong. You know, when you've got someone like Nate Lashley, 14 to 1 favourite for this tournament, that shows you it's not a strong field. And, you know, he's not going to have the like some of the players that were there last year or the year before. He's 33 to 1. He's a decent price for someone who's got some good form here. It's Bryce Garnett. Hey, a West Ham supporter, just like his great granddad, Alf. Oh. So fantastic. <laughs> right. Second pick, Matty Schmid, Barbasol. Barracuda and the Amex, like I've mentioned, three great performances by the young German who came through the University of Louisville, the place where Muhammad Ali threw his gold medal into the river. He will throw the punches on this turf ring and knock his opponents out. Matty Schmid, 35 to 1. A bit short, but I think he's quality in this field. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, good young and up and coming player. Right, my third pick. I've gone with someone that's uh, a bit older, 38 years of age will be absolutely buoyed by Marcel Seam's win last week. He's not German, he's Swedish, but he has been performing decently on the KFT and he also had a tied 20th at Pebble Beach. Now, you could call this a little bit of a hunch, but for a low-grade event like this, there's no reason why Jonas Blixt can't turn up and give a performance, even if we're looking at place money. 66 to 1, Jonas Blix, this 38-year-old Swede who's been around for a long time, I think is capable of throwing in a big performance, and he's my third play. Oh, this could be a smorgasbord of opportunities for this lad. I think, yeah, yeah this field, I think anyone's got a chance, really. Um, my final pick is a man who will say, I'll be back. Let's hope he is back for this one. It's the Hermanator, Jim Herman. Played well when last seen in the Honda, finishing the week with a 67-66. His best finish last season was a seventh here. His last win was at the Wyndham, and my word, he fired plenty of birdies on that weekend, shooting 61-63. 45 years of age, but has the ability and the nous to get the win in a field of young guns. 60-1 to for the Hermanator, Jim Herman. God, is he that old? 45? Wow. Crikey, I thought he was a bit younger than that. Okay, yeah. Uh, Herminator, is that what he calls himself? Or is that no, that's what I call him. him? <laughs> that's what, yeah, yeah. He is now the Herminator. Oh, uh, well, I'll tell you, if he goes on and wins, like, you've got to get him on the podcast just to, like, give him that name, haven't you? It's the Herminator. Right, okay. My fourth and final pick to close us out this week. It's an 80 to 1 shot. A previous winner here. So, 80 to 1. I, you ask yourself, for a previous winner and also someone who had a tied 20th at Pebble Beach this season. Um, Pebble what? Pebble Beach. It just broke up a little bit. Broke up a little bit, bro. Come on. Right. In 21-22 season, he had decent finishes. A tied fifth at Houston, so of course. A tied seventh at the Corrales Pontacana and a tied 11th in Mexico. Now, May prove me wrong, but I think some of these are coastal courses. And for someone who has won here before, 80 to 1 about Martin Trainer is a standout price. And that closes out my book for this week. Interesting, because he had a great first round last week and then had a shocker second. Um, 
getting himself ready for this week. Exactly, yeah. He I had was a bit training. Of play better. Yeah, training he was training week, as yeah. a trainer. Hey, okay. Well, let's wrap it up in case uh, in case people have... Um, in case, bought... in case and you're taking in, the piss in, out of me. <laughs> in, no, South African, because I've got loads of um, South Africans in geese. Um, in case people have fallen asleep whilst listening to us, right? Let's wake them up with our picks for the Puerto Rico. It's me, Eric Van Royen, Matty Schmid, and Jim Herman, the Hermanator. And I've gone with Bryce Garnett, Jonas Blix, not Stevie Gerrard, but Ryan Gerrard and Martin Trainer. Right. Well, unless you've got anything else to say, bro. No, mate. I'm bored of you now. I need to go and have some dinner. Oh, me too. Right. Thanks for listening again to the Bros and Birdies, the golf podcast. Join us next week for the unofficial fifth major. We'll be previewing the Players' Championship. And over on the DP World Tour, we'll be heading to the continent of Africa for the Kenyan. Hey, it's been great. Best of luck with your picks. Bro, pleasure as always. Until next week, from me, it's goodbye. And from me, it's goodbye too. This, this really is beyond a joke now. He's, he's, he's gone gone now because this is, uh, this is quite... I've never seen anything like it before and to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness. <laughs>